Stories, fables, ghostly tales. Listener, I seem so far away from you. So much farther than usual. Let me pull up a chair and sit to your left. Or maybe you prefer the right. Yeah, the right is just fine. Mates, of the past week I've been working on something special. Binaural audio. Placement of sound in a virtual space and trying to create an atmosphere that puts you in the very place the story resides in. Now, I'm no expert, and it takes a little bit of time figuring it out. Well, a lot of time, but in this episode, I've been experimenting to give you something special. Just like you. Today's tale is all about a unique wardrobe, of which we know not its origins, other than a green-eyed salesman and a couple intent on taking it home as the main plotline. This tale is aptly named The Wardrobe, and by a new author, who reached out to me, because he's a top bloke, Jeff Provine. And I wanted to share a little bit about him with you all. He's an English teacher in Oklahoma, where he collects spooky local folklore. He's had a few collections published like Haunted Oklahoma City and Haunted Norman. And in addition to this, helped co-fund the podcast Tales Unveiled. So Jeff, you are one creative guy, and I'm grateful to have the opportunity to narrate your story. And your tale will be the first that I experiment with regarding binaural audio. Now turn off the lights, turn up the sound, and stay away from wardrobes with mouths. Sunshine made the thousand ancient treasures sparkle at the weekend outdoor flea market. At least, I like to think of them all as treasures. But one man's treasure is another's trash, just the same as the other way around. Stephen and I wandered from booth to booth Saturday morning looking at chickens made from scrap metal and old family portraits that descendants no longer wanted. He had picked up a few baseball cards trying to rebuild his collection from when he was a kid. I was still looking for that special something you know, that thing that jumps out at you, and you can't think about anything else. It was only the morning of the first day, and I wasn't planning on even looking that hard. But then, I spotted the wardrobe. It was in a booth on the edge of the road, with no one around it. This booth didn't have much in it either. Only some moth-chewed books, a little tarnished costume jewellery, and a drawer of loose, misshapen silverware. But in the back was that towering, old wardrobe that grabbed my eye. It was eight feet tall, all inlaid in oak and cherry, and some other wood I didn't recognize. The edges had jagged geometric patterns that looked almost like faces with leering eyes and hanging mouths. Shadows from the darker wood caught the light as I walked making the eyes blink and the hanging mouths move like they were trying to say something. Stephen leaned away from the booth to pass on the far side, but I caught his arm and pulled him over. The air seemed cooler beside the wardrobe somehow. All Stephen said was, Ugh. 
No, 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 it's amazing, I replied. Look at that woodwork. What is it, early Art Nouveau? No, it has to be older. Much older. A scratchy voice said behind us. It was the cellar, a short, wrinkled thing, looking more like a goblin than a human being. His skin was leathery from a lifetime of work outdoors, but his eyes were bright green. How much? I asked. The goblin man shrugged in his oversized white shirt, making the collar stick up to his pointed ear. Make me an offer. You have to choose what it's worth to you. Stephen shifted to take a step backward. I held his hand. He let his arm dangle in my grip. He said, Well, I'm not sure where we'd put it. I patted his arm. Gooseflesh had broken out all over his arms. He just shook his head. One hundred dollars, I said quickly. The seller grinned so wide, the edges of his mouth eclipsed his earlobes. Okay. I don't know. Stephen said. He groaned and squeezed his eyes shut. It's kind of creepy. I like creepy, I told him. You know that, and you go just as crazy as I do with Halloween decorations. He opened his eyes again, but he wouldn't look at the wardrobe for more than a second. Yeah, but this isn't like Pumpkin King creepy. This is something else. I squeezed his hand. It's only a hundred dollars! Then I leaned close and whispered, Even if we don't like it, I bet we could sell it to somebody else for ten times that. Stephen sucked in a long breath and sighed it back out. <sighs> he pulled his hand free from me to dig out his wallet. The little goblin man just watched us with his wide grin. We managed to drag the wardrobe across the flea market and hoped we could wedge the thing into the back of our SUV. People watched us as we went, their eyes wide, jealous, probably. When we got to the field they had converted into a parking lot, Stephen mumbled that the car wouldn't be big enough. Still, we laid it in on its back and shifted it left and right until somehow it nestled inside of the folded seats. It's almost as if the wardrobe has wriggled itself to help fit. I dusted my hands like they do in the movies. There! That wasn't so hard. Stephen had cold sweat pouring over his face. I didn't think it was that heavy, I said. He just rolled his eyes and got out the keys. We moved the wardrobe into the den and rearranged chairs around it. It seemed so light I could practically carry it myself. But maybe Stephen was doing all the work. I stacked some candles inside and got the glass punch bowl from our last family reunion to set on top. After all the moving, I gave a nod to my handiwork. Stephen just stood in the corner with his arms crossed tight over his stomach. I rubbed his shoulders. Come on, big boy. Let's go out to eat and celebrate. You pick. Stephen smiled a little and nodded. He looked back at the wardrobe and stared until I pulled him to the hall. That night, about three o'clock, we woke to a loud, scraping noise. 
it sounded like someone dragging something heavy across the wood floor. Then, we heard the high-pitched crash of glass breaking. Stephen grabbed me. Someone's in the house! But the alarm didn't go off! I whispered. Another long scraping noise floated through the dark. Something heavy fell over with a thud. Call the police! I told Stephen. He was already on his phone. 911, what's your emergency? We waited in the bedroom with the door locked until the police arrived. Stephen held me in one arm and his autographed Louisville slugger in the other. I stayed on the phone with the dispatcher. Soon, flashing lights flooded the windows with waves of blue and red. The front door banged open and the alarm blared. I jumped, but the voice on the phone told me, It's just them. Don't worry. They'll search the house. The police couldn't find anyone inside but us. One policeman took a statement from Stephen, while the other walked the perimeter of our house. They didn't find any broken window. And all the doors were still locked. Yet the den was... A mess. The wardrobe had been moved forward about six feet. There were long marks in the wooden floor under its feet leading back to where it had stood when Stephen and I brought it in. The glass punch bowl we had set on top to catch the light now lay behind it, shattered into fifty pieces. One of our chairs was knocked over with the armrest cracked in two. After the police left, I found Stephen staring at the wardrobe and hugging his bat. I made an angry whistle through my nose and rolled up my pajama sleeves. Stephen asked, What are you doing? I'm putting this back where it belongs, I told him. I grabbed the frame of the door beside where it was lolling open. It was a good handhold, the one I had used that afternoon. When I pushed up with my legs to heft it this time, the wardrobe wouldn't budge. A dozen swear words ran through my head, but all I said was, Hmm. Stephen stood watching in the corner, holding his bat with both arms. His eyes were wide, and his jaw hung open. He didn't budge. I hmmed at him, and then changed my grip so my left hand was inside the door. I thought maybe I could bear hug it and walk it backwards. The wood felt so cold. Just as I started to push upward, the wardrobe door swung shut on my hand. Ah, shit! I shrieked. There was pain, I knew that, but it was so much worse. Ringing like ocean waves drowned out my hearing, and a tunnel of black closed in around my eyes. All I could do was throw out my leg and kick the bottom of the door until it came loose. Stephen was by my side. What happened? The door slammed on me! I cried, holding my hand by the wrist. My fingers were jagged, not broken, but already beginning to swell. Throbbing jets of aching pain came in waves from the red-black marks between my knuckles. My wedding ring was bent into a flat-ended oval. We finally got it off with some bolt cutters. 
I held my hand in an ice pack for the rest of the night. We sat on the couch together, looking from my torn up hand to the broken ring, where it sat on the coffee table to the wardrobe where it loomed on the far wall. I whispered, as if it could hear me. If I hadn't been wearing my ring, it would have taken my fingers off. Stephen just stared, now cradling the bolt cutters like he had the bat. Let's get rid of it, I said. We called a 24-hour moving company. As easy as it was to get the wardrobe inside, it took three men and a hand truck just to get it out of the den. They ended up bringing in a second crew to get it out the front hall. Every step of the way, the wardrobe fought them. The belt the movers had fastened around it snapped. Just as they started moving through the hall, the door flew open and gouged itself into the wall so deeply that I didn't think we'd get it out again. They did, finally, and they tied it with two new belts that they had to stop and tighten three times. When they got to the front door, it somehow didn't fit through anymore. You gotta be kidding us. They had to go back through the house, through the garage. By then, we had two more holes in the wall, a smashed hinge on the laundry room door, and three pictures fallen from where they hung. I held the broken pieces of the big photo of us on the beach from our honeymoon. While they loaded the wardrobe into the moving truck, a tire went flat as soon as it was in. You've got to be kidding me. Come on, seriously? We went ahead to the flea market in our car to be there as soon as it opened. The goblin man's booth was cleared out. A few people in other booths that sold collector coins or drapes with corn cobs on them said they remembered him but didn't know anything about him. Yeah, I know him, but not really well. Yeah, he's kind of weird. When we found the organizer, she checked the papers in her clipboard and then said that there shouldn't have even been a booth set up that far on the end. Should have never been there. Weird. The movers met us in the parking lot and unloaded the wardrobe without a word. The eyes in the wooden faces were staring at me. I hid behind Stephen, who asked the movers about how much it would be to take the wardrobe onto the dump. Nope, was all the foreman said. Then he went back to help the others with another flat tire. Fifty bucks, Stephen offered. They all shook their heads. Seventy-five, Stephen upped. A hundred. A hundred apiece! We're not touching that thing again without a priest, the foreman told us. The movers left us with the wardrobe in the trampled grass. I shrugged. Maybe we can put a sign on it that says, free? Stephen sighed and tucked his hand in his pocket. Then he tried his other pockets. The keys are gone. I started to cry. Through my tears, the wardrobe became warped and twisted. The faces were smiling, laughing at me. It wasn't going to let us go. My legs felt weak, and I fell hard on the ground. Stephen joined me. We sat there not knowing what to do nearly an hour until a young couple wandered up. They marveled at the woodwork. Uh, how much? The young man asked. Stephen squeaked. But I cut him off, raising my uninjured hand. We were thinking a thousand. 
I said. But you have to choose what it's worth to you. They took it. For 50 bucks. We watched the two load the wardrobe into the back of their truck. It fit perfectly in the bed. Stephen said, We have to warn them, don't we? They'll find out. I replied, Maybe they'll know what to do with it. And if not, the farmer's market is next weekend. Mates, I hope you enjoyed The Wardrobe by Jeff Provine and what a story. Short, sweet and definitely unique. Did you enjoy the binaural sound effects and crosstalk? Too much? Perhaps too little? Either way, I'll be experimenting more and trying something different. I might sneak into my usual episode as a little flair to spice an episode up, or I might even dedicate a whole episode in that manner. We'll see. And Jeff, thank you so much for providing this story to me. Folks, if you have a story of your own, send it my way to storiesfablesghostlytales at gmail.com. Do not be shy. I've been working with a lot of my listeners and their stories and have loved every single one. And have worked with listeners to shape their tales. I have a couple in the backlog that I'll be reaching out to as well to make suggestions and eventually put on the air. So sit down on the PC and start with something simple and let your imagination go wild. Lastly, my favorite part of the podcast, thanking those that support me directly. First up is my old night tea titan, a godlike figure when it comes to support. That person is Maya, queen of cats. <laughs> Mate, thank you immensely for your support. Your tier has allowed me to purchase the unique software that creates binaural audio. Yep, that's all you. I'm able to bring a whole new podcasting experience to everyone's ears, and it's only going to get better. So thank you, you legend. And my white tea warlord, Lezosoro El Maximo, mate, you are one top bloke, and I can't wait to respond, finally, via email, about what I've been up to. Over the past couple of weeks, listeners, it's been nuts. And I haven't been able to respond so quickly to those that email me. But I basically locked myself in a room this weekend like some kind of email bomb shelter. And all I'm going to do is respond to amazing people like Leza, who take the time to write to me. Thank you, Leza. Your support, just like Maya, will never be forgotten. Thanks, buddy. And of course, the lifeblood of this show, my Elgrain forces, Chad Warren, Just Heather, Paige Martini, Peter Raffelli, Tasha Moncrief, Christina Boyd, Dolphin and Cow, Michelangelo Yacone, Tea Time Drinker 1, and Divided by Zero. Cheers, you lovelies. And have a kick-ass weekend. Drink loads of El Grey, or wine, as all of my listeners have been telling me they enjoy whilst listening. <laughs> and I'll catch you Monday. As always, listeners, till next, we meet.